I finally landed Susan Griffin as one of my guests on Small Shop Fundraising this week. We talk about her leadership journey to owning Griffin Fundraising and Marketing, and we talk more importantly about sustainability strategies for nonprofits to think about as they look to keep their doors open through this pandemic. Join us now. Hello and welcome to Small Shop Fundraising, a podcast dedicated to the small to medium-sized nonprofits and the topics and issues facing them today. I'm your host, Liz Hack, and with us today is Susan Griffin. Susan is founder and owner of Griffin Fundraising and Marketing. And full disclosure for our audience today, Susan is my mom. She started Griffin Fundraising and Marketing back in 1992, and now we work together as consultants in the Louisville, Kentucky market, helping small to medium-sized nonprofits, mainly with annual and capital campaigns. Welcome, Susan. Thanks for being here. Thank you. It's fun to be here. This is our lucky number 13 episode, I think, Susan. (laughs) So glad to have you on. (laughs) Thanks a lot, (laughs) Liz. 13 is a lucky number, though. We're going to make it lucky. That's right. This year it is. (laughs) This year it is, right. Um, So, Susan, for our audience, could you talk a little bit about your leadership journey to being a uh, woman-owned, full-service consulting firm in the Louisville market? I'm just going to hit the highlights of of what's gone on in my life, but I, I think the important pieces of being a consultant is being able to work well with groups and also to understand and try to bring everyone's ideas to the table and then discuss them and figure out where to go from there. And I guess my background uh, in terms of the steps I made before that was I spent a lot of time in higher education, working in the Office of Admissions, trying to help students decide where they want to go to college, and then uh, helping them try to think through what their life might look like after achieving a four-year degree to help them choose their majors. But the closest thing to being a consultant that in, in my career before becoming a consultant was probably the 15 years I worked with Kentuckiana Metroversity as Associate Executive Director. It was in that position that I uh, helped to develop cooperative projects among seven institutions of higher learning, and then later on to uh, develop a network, adult uh, learner projects to work together to learn how to use technology that we think of so casually today. Everything from uh, radio uh, delivered courses to TV to cable television to self-directed learning with individual podcasts. We didn't call them podcasts back then, but people would tune in to listen to a specific faculty member give their course on online or on the cable. And in that process, having to learn how to teach people about technology and how it could be used and actually playing a role in terms of the the development and production of the TV programs so they would be interesting for the audience that we were trying to attract. And it was in that environment that I really think that I honed my skills to understand how to work with people to get them to think through what they wanted to do and and to plan how to get it done. And that's essentially the role that a consultant has. We don't bring any special magic to the table. What we're just trying to help others identify is what their mission is. And from that mission, determine how best to get to that mission and develop the step-by-step process to get there. We're doing virtual learning for kindergarten kids these days. That, yeah, that's what, yeah, all, all, all learning all levels. Yeah. Just so interesting. 
So you became a consultant back in 1992. Just briefly, can you talk about what you what trends you've seen change over the last several decades? Oh, I, I guess the the most uh, difficult trend has been um, the lack of funding. When I got involved, when I first got involved in fund development, uh, well, two things. When I think about it, first of all, when I first got involved, there were no women in fund development. It was an all male business, and men. Uh, held the top positions and the women occupied uh, supporting roles, but no real leadership in key positions. And that certainly has changed over the years. So that'd be the first one. And the second, the second piece has been, I think, is there are more nonprofits than ever. So the the growing number of nonprofits to serve growing needs as government funds have become less and less in terms of their service to groups who need them most. My first capital campaign was uh, for $64 million, which today seems like nothing for an institution like the University of Louisville, which is where I did my first capital campaign was there. It was the, the largest campaign the university had ever done. So yeah, times have changed a lot. Yeah, that's a drop in the bucket, it seems like now for institutions like UofL. Right. A medium-sized nonprofit might go after that kind of goal to uh, build a new campus or build a new facility to serve the people that they're serving. Uh, $64 million will hardly do anything in higher ed anymore. It's just amazing. So let's kind of switch gears now and talk about a more recent timeline, and that is what nonprofits are experiencing now in 2020 and potentially, gosh, into 2021. When I spoke with KNN, with Kentucky Nonprofit Network, Laura Whitaker, the assistant director, talked about the rapid changes the nonprofit sector in Kentucky and regionally is faced with due to the pandemic and its ripple effect. Many nonprofits are looking to, to shutter their doors. Many nonprofits are furloughing their employees. One of the survey questions that KNN posed in early March or late March was, how much funding do you have in reserves for times like this? And most nonprofits in Kentucky responded with three months. And that was in March. And we're still in a quite a bit of a conundrum with sustainability. I'd like to hear your perspective on ways in which nonprofits can sustain themselves, can hold on until, a, until brighter days. Liz, I think uh, your small shop podcast reaches a group that typically is a is a one or two person show trying to keep the doors open with funding coming in to keep uh, worthy organizations that are providing a true services in the community, but have limited resources to do it. And the pandemic has made that case even worse. In my opinion, this is the time when nonprofits need to do what what we as consultants talk about all the time. They they really need to be engaged with their board leadership to plan out how together they are going to get through this pandemic and focus uh, entirely on what they need for sustainability. That's sometimes a little tough because I think that nonprofits sometimes don't quite know how to discuss these issues with their board members and are sometimes a little bit uh, reticent about getting into the conversation because before you can start talking about sustainability, you have to know what that sustainability is going to cost. And you have to have specific areas identified for help and and support uh, that you can offer to a donor. And you have to then sell those ideas 
to your board members and let them share in the de further development of how that can be carried out and get board members to help get you in front of their friends and colleagues who might be willing to share their time and resources to support the organization. There, there are all kinds of ways that, that, uh, that groups can help, that things that you can uh, invite donors to get involved in. Yeah. You don't just need cash. And before we talk about some, some of the things that the boards, boards can do, I want to touch back on communication with your board. You know, a lot of times, Susan, with the organizations that we've worked with, the executive leadership wants to talk with their volunteer board about all the good things that are happening because these folks on their board are, are sharing their time and their talent. So that, to talk about tough times is not an easy conversation. It's kind of a courageous conversation for executive leadership to have with their board, wouldn't you say? I, I think that's absolutely on target. Uh, you know, these are the moments that bring people together. These are the times when individuals really understand why they're serving on a board for this nonprofit, why they are giving their time. And in that, having to identify within themselves just how committed are they. Coming to a board meeting once a month or, or quarterly or twice a year, that's one thing. But having to sit down and figure out how can we keep our services going so that children have uh, lunch for the next year? Going Those kids going to school who come from families who don't have the resources to perhaps uh, have the food. To, how can we continue to, to feed these kids? There are just so many different uh, missions that nonprofits have today. You can pick what you're interested in, but how far are you willing to commit your time and resources to that nonprofit? And it's times like these when the nonprofit is faced with staying open and continued service are not staying open, that board members and volunteers are really, are really given an opportunity to stand up for that organization. And it's, it is a tough conversation to have. But if you can have that conversation and, and the, the volunteer leader understands exactly what's going on with the organization and commits to helping you will have a volunteer for life. Absolutely, yeah. Okay, so we've talked about the need to engage your board even further. So what I've seen, sometimes fundraisers especially kind of go into this, uh, it's all on my shoulders mentality and, and kind of put the weight of the world on themselves. And that keeps them potentially from reaching out to other folks to help delegate. But what are some of the ways that, that you started to talk about earlier that fundraisers or nonprofit leaders can start to build their network or even continue to build their network now that we're in August. What are some of the things that nonprofit executives can do right now to build that network to support them to continue to raise funds in this environment? Well, if, if they haven't done it, the first step obviously is the executive director of the organization with the development officer has to sit down and the finance person, if, the, if there is one, and determine what, what's it going to take for us to continue, how much money is needed for this year or the next six months, whatever the time period is that they want to plan for, to determine what it is they're looking for. And then I think you go after your leadership support one at a time and you call them up on the phone and you share the results of that meeting with your staff uh, or with uh, in the case of a development director with the leadership of the organization with the executive director or president depending on their title 
and you share the direction and the funding that it's going to take for you to continue moving forward in that direction. You're asking for advice. You're not just telling them something. You're asking them, this is where we came to. What do you think? You've been involved with us for the last one year, two years, five years, 10 years. Um, you've seen how our services work. What do you think? If we cut back to this point, what do you think that's going to do for us? And you'll be surprised at, I think you'll be surprised and a, and a good surprise to see that your board members really do have input to make and suggestions to make. And once they make their suggestions and you get them engaged in the conversation, they will start giving you names of people they think you want to talk with. And then your role is to be sure that you invite them to take the leadership on getting those calls set up and joining you in making the call. Uh, people may think it's a, it's a real negative to do this work on Zoom or uh, Google or whichever uh, strategy you choose to use, but um, I come, I'm old school. I like the face-to-face -face stuff, but I have to say that the Zoom call or the Google call, whichever, or the FaceTime, being able to look to see the response of the people that you're talking with on the phone. And then if you, if you don't have that at your disposal and you're using your traditional telephone for the call, to listen really carefully to the response you're getting from, from the person you're talking with, you can do a lot that I would not have thought possible in terms of moving an individual who may never have heard of you before, but has this as their personal interest. And you know that the education or, or uh, healthcare or social services or to specific populations of children and youth, et cetera, you get them involved in that conversation and they will step up to help you. I'm convinced of that. And I think that uh, leadership is flattered that you take the time to schedule an appointment with them, that you take the time to make it at their convenience and not yours, that you take the time to recognize their involvement in the past, their leadership in the past, and then I think they'll really step up. And if they can't provide you with going on calls with you or with, uh, or with a nice gift, uh, they can at least give you advice and guidance on, on where they think you should start. And it's all good information that gives you a, a hint of, of what your next step ought to be. Wow. A lot of insight there. From what I heard from you say there just, just now, Susan, is that this is going to take work. There's not going to yes. be one place you go to for advice or for you know financial support or even time and talent. And it's going to take some time. So hopefully like you said before all the all the ducks are in a row so that when the individual donor or board member asks the tough questions of what's it going to take to be sustainable yeah. you've already made those tough decisions and can share that information it also sounds like like i said before it's not going to be one uh you know a silver bullet a magic bullet that that takes care of the whole the whole problem gosh wouldn't that be nice probably not going to be just one donor that does that full you know five million dollar ten million dollar twenty million dollar it's going to take a lot more effort and i think people need to remember that i'm also hearing an individual donor plan is what you would suggest over sponsorships or grants or corporate entities I do. And I think that you start with your board and your volunteer committees, but you start with your board because they've already made a decision to support you. The question is how far are they willing to go with that support? And as a board member, their job is to help raise money and, and select the leadership of the organization. 
So it perhaps is an easier sell to get in front of them with, with where the organization is. They would expect that. And then with their leadership, they can help you work through the volunteers, perhaps that they brought on to help them to also understand what the needs are and what it's going to take the organization to get to sustain what's happening in the world today. There's a, a researcher out there, and I, for the life of me, I can't think of her name right, right this minute, but you may, who talks in terms of donor-centered fundraising. And if there was ever a time that we needed to be thinking about what would the donor do, now is to find the answer to that question. And now is the time to not shove it at them, put what's, what's going on within the organization in front of them and ask for their help. And I, I can't stress enough to get a time when they can thoughtfully talk through what you're faced with without interruptions and in consideration of what their day is like. So, you know, you try to pick a time, maybe it's an evening call, maybe it's an early morning call, maybe it's lunchtime, but you want them to have the time to really focus with you on the direction that you believe the organization has to go in. And maybe it's a Saturday morning call. Yeah. And it could be a Sunday evening call. Mm -hmm. it, you know, it could be any of those things, but that's what it's going to take. So you were talking about Penelope Burke earlier, and we will put in the show notes a link to Penelope Burke's donor-centered fundraising in the show notes. All right, so we've made the plan for what it's going to cost to be sustainable, and we, we know what hard decisions we're going to have to make in order for that to happen. We have had the courageous conversation with the whole board, potentially, and now we are looking to have those one-on-one -on -one conversations with board members and or longtime advisory folks or past board members or you know if you have an auxiliary board like a, a young professional board maybe you've started to have those conversations with those people they say okay susan and an executive director i'm on board what do you need me to do the first thing we want them to do i think is to think about who's involved with the organization that they know on a first first basis, a, a good friend, a colleague, a peer, and ask them if they will set the meetings up or set calls up with those individuals to share what's going on inside the organization and ask for their advice. You want to end up with more than advice, but you have to start with advice. You have to get their buy-in to the direction that you're going in, and then they will evidence their support by giving their support, either in time or in resources. So that would be the second step that I would see what would take. And again, I think you should have a targeted list, you not only your, your board and your committee members, but your list of top donors to the organization, people have been, who have been supporting you all along, who need to be drawn into this discussion to understand what it's going to take to keep their charity moving forward. So we have targeted individual donors. It's not to say don't, uh, don't look at corporate or foundation grants, but those are restricted monies in that uh, there's a, typically a timeline in place. Now, there are some foundations locally uh, and probably nationally that are specifically directing funding towards COVID-19 related support. Obviously, we want to get a hold of those as well. But the unrestricted funding from individuals, a great place for executive leadership to put their time. Like we talked about earlier, Susan, there's not a whole lot of staff to do this work right now. So that's why it's so important to grab 
onto your volunteers who are so close to the organization, like your board members and previous board members to support work in opening doors and continuing to open the doors for face-to-face conversations or Zoom calls. Exactly. Let me just say that you are not going to leave asking for corporate and, and, and foundation monies exactly. But for example, in your calls, if you had someone on your board who is a bank executive mm-hmm. and that bank has given to you in the past, now is the time to be sure that that bank executive is keeping your name, your organization's name in front of his grants committee and that he understands the process that you've gone through as an organization in terms of assessing what your needs are and focusing on what those needs are, not on new directions, but on just keeping your services going so that he can inform the bank's committee or the corporation's committee or the foundation's committee of the direction that you're headed in. Then you've got somebody who's working that that call for you. So if you do meet deadlines, as you know, as well as I do, the banks have a more regular monthly or bi-monthly deadline set up. Uh, Foundations are typically quarterly. There are a few monthly still around. Uh, There are a few around that that will invite you to um, submit an application to them. And if you have someone who is on your board or a volunteer with your organization who is tied somehow to these organizations, to these foundations, they can help with getting that invitation for you so that you can submit an application for services. So the calls become important, but the research, most organizations, uh, I would think, would have some of this information about their board members and their volunteers who are who are with them they they have an understanding of what they bring to the table not only their own company and professional uh, linkages that they might have with other companies and foundations that would help your organization and now is the time to use those yes absolutely champions within organizations those individuals who are connected to your board who understand the need um, have a link to your your organization and have a huge interest can then be a champion or an ambassador or however you want to talk about them in corporate settings or foundation settings to support getting funding or or whatever the the need is from those entities Uh, can you make any suggestions for what types of vehicles of funding these nonprofits can ask for that's creative that's a little different than just them sticking their hand out? I think everybody, every organization is different. So if I'm a group that provides um, a food pantry for a certain part of town and I need uh, support for either acquiring the food or getting food given somehow, perhaps you could put together a request, if you don't already, that would be X number of dollars provides for 20 pounds of food or X number of dollars feeds a family of four for a week so that people understand that, that their money is going for a direct purpose and they'll have it and will touch directly the people that they want to serve, that they want to provide, provide the food service to. I, I know I'm, I'm constantly amazed at the, at, the, uh, at the information we get from Dare to Care in terms of how they spend their money and what it costs. And you, you get a clear understanding of, of just exactly, if you make a donation to them, you know where it's going and you know how many families are gonna benefit from that. And I think uh, across the board, if you, if you build houses for homeless or if you refurbish uh, apartments for homeless, if you can figure out a way to define that so that people can get their arms wrapped around what their gift is gonna to provide to a homeless person, that makes a difference. So 
if you feed the homeless, what does a meal cost? If you clothe the uh, children or to help them get ready for school, uh, buy, you know, offer an opportunity to provide five outfits for a child uh, with a backpack full of uh, school supplies, and how much will that, you know, how much would that cost? And so as a donor, I'm buying for child X, uh, uh, I'm providing the funds to get those things for that child. Hold so on, that would Mom. be one way of doing it. Hold on. You might think Great. organizations are using Zoom and Google to uh, do virtual activities. And I'm wondering if you could do a virtual au auction of items for charities. So for, uh, you could go, uh, people, you would direct people to the, to the auction line and you would have different packages that would serve the people that you serve. So if I am a shelter, you would have a package of clothing for a child, or you would have a package of clothing for the family, or you would have meals uh, for the family, or perhaps some cash included in that to pay for rent for a month. So you would, you could, you could provide them with an opportunity to fund a family of four for a month with rent and food and clothing. I, I have no idea what those things would cost together, but that would be a big one. And you could have several baskets in different ways, as opposed to, to a basket that I would buy and the money from something that I might enjoy would go to the charity and they would spend the money on the, on the person. That's kind of been done. So I was trying to think of something that was out of the box that would be fresh and new. Yeah, and and um, that's an interesting idea. I think that would require, you know, partnerships between nonprofits potentially coming together and making that work. One other thing that we talked about yesterday was challenge grants and their ability yes. to motivate donors to meet a certain goal within a certain time period. Do yeah. you feel like that would be a creative way to help with the sustainability of a, of a nonprofit? I do. And everybody's using that challenge grant opportunity. I mean, uh, from political campaigns to, uh, funding new nonprofits, uh, you're seeing challenge grants being put out there by people who have the ability to make a pretty good size match to get people involved with the organizations that they are supporting. So yes, the, the trick to that is being sure that you have the marketing system in place to market what's available. To, you've got a big enough mailing list to send that challenge grant out to, to email folks to let them know what's been offered. So that if you make a gift to my organization, it'll be matched dollar for dollar or two for one or five for one, whatever it's going to be, that you have the ability to get that match out in front of people. That's the key to success there. And some nonprofits don't have a big enough base to work with to do that kind of thing. So um, it's tricky, but challenges are wonderful. I saw a man on uh, Ellen, the Ellen Show the other day who had just joined the board of an organization for veterans and he offered a challenge grant to the audience, the TV audience and the, the audience was there in the show uh, that he would match every dollar made between uh, the date he was on and veterans day. So if you put a timeline to it and people are aware of, you got this length amount of time to do it between this date and this date. So if it's Labor Day are uh, in honor of workers are if it's in, in honor of veterans are if it's Thanksgiving that you're asking for. Donors know that they have X number of days to make their commitment and, and your donor has given you the limit that, that they're willing to go to to match gifts. Those are the things that are, are going to be important, I think. Great suggestions. Small Shop Fundraising is brought to you by Griffin Fundraising and Marketing. Sign up for their newsletter, The Resource Report, 
on their website at www.gfmky.com. That's gfmky.com.